Hello again, fight fans. Welcome to episode number 275 of the Neutral Corner Boxing Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Montero for ringmagazine.com, ring TV, or ring magazine, ringtv.com, and Ring Digital YouTube channel where you're checking me out live right now. As always, I remind you guys to uh, make sure you're subscribed and click that notification bell so you never miss a live episode of the show. But also want to remind you that the new issue of Ring Magazine is out in stores. Make sure you check it out. Got some great stuff in here, including a big, big preview of the Pacquiao-Spence fight, which is the next big fight, right? We were supposed to get a big fight last weekend, but of course... The Rona blew that shit up. So, uh, yeah, Captain Co- Captain Hook Chronicles on the chat is asking, uh, how was your Fury Wilder 3 weekend? <laughs> exactly. Yeah, right? Kind of a buzzkill, man, because uh, we were all expecting this, you know, big fight. It's not the fight we wanted necessarily in the heavyweight division, but it was a big fight, and it didn't happen. So um, I actually tweeted about that. I might as well jump to that right now. Just a reminder, this is episode 275 for the week of July 31st. And as always, guys, make sure you're subscribed, not just on Ring Digital's YouTube channel, but on mine, Montero Unboxing, where I do a Friday show. We didn't do one last Friday because there just wasn't a whole hell of a lot going on. But uh, I want to show you guys this this Twitter poll that I put out. Here we go. Uh, I'm going to read this here. A poll for the Wooda bros. You guys know I love my bros. Uh, who would have won tonight's heavyweight showdown between Tyson Rona Fury and Deontay Dent Wilder? And how were the judges going to screw somebody? Would there be more egg weights, autopsies, and spiked water? I'm surprised more of you didn't vote. Uh, I guess a lot of you guys were just over it and doing something else because I tweeted this out on Saturday morning. But about 60% of you almost said Fury KO. About 20% of you, actually over 20% of you had Wilder. Almost 20% of you had Wilder KO, but uh, about 80% of you had Fury winning that fight. So um, interesting, though. I you know I, I thought maybe, it'd be, I don't know, maybe it'd be a little closer than that. But uh, yeah, still four out of five of you guys liked um, Tyson Fury in that one. The fight that didn't happen, that maybe we'll get in the fourth quarter, we'll find out. Just, uh, you know, it's kind of... I don't know, man, like as much as I am over that whole saga and just wanting it to pass by so we can move on, it still was a big fight. You know, we we were looking forward to that, but we're going to get a pretty big heavyweight fight coming up soon. We'll talk more about that in the show. Uh, Feeling dangerous, 113 with the super chat. Thank you so much, my man. He says, closing in on 300 episodes. I know, right? Yeah, man. By, um. I guess yeah, probably by the end of the year, we'll be really close. It's either going to be, uh, depending on how the schedule turns out, we might hit it this year. It might be early next year. But by the time we do hit it, uh, that's going to be crazy. That's going to be a hell of an achievement, man. And then, you know, just thinking when we get to like 500 episodes and then I will, you know, by that point, more than half of the shows will have been with Ring, with the Ring platform. That will be like a, a really significant accomplishment for me, you know. So I I really can't wait for that. And who knows where we're all going to be when that happens. That's going to be years from now. But um, yeah, man, closing in on the big 300. That's pretty damn cool. Brian in the chat says, I always look forward to 5 p.m. Mondays with Montero on boxing. I appreciate that, brother. Mr. Falk on the chat says, whoever had Wilder winning was trolling. I, I know, man. <laughs> hey, 
I don't know, man. You know, look, it's starting to look, I will say, and I've said this before, it's starting to look more and more and more like just the more time that goes by, it does favor Wilder because he has more time to focus, to train, to get sharp. And now Fury coming off of of COVID. I'm telling you, man, that that third fight is going to be competitive. I, I, I more more competitive than people think, but um, not a whole lot going on last weekend. There's some. There was one big heavyweight fight. There, there was a couple of things that went on. I'll, I'll talk about that in the review. And we do have a couple of fights to preview. One of those I'll be covering for RingTV.com uh, that are happening this weekend. So we'll talk about all that stuff. But the schedule is kind of light right now. So if you're watching the show, congratulations. You are officially a boxing degenerate. You're, you, you are just an absolute degenerate of boxing, just like myself. So uh, congratulations to you. Real quick, guys, uh, I want to give a shout-out to uh, Fighters Boxing Gym in Nashville, Tennessee. My wife, Tiffany, and I, we were in Nashville, Tennessee this weekend, and Billy Falco, who is a coach over there at that gym, he reached out to me. We, we follow each other on social. We've talked before. But uh, he reached out to me and said, hey, man, if you're going to be in town, come check out the gym. Come, come train. So I actually trained there with Billy uh, Friday, and then he put me through a session. He coached me Saturday. On Friday, we both trained with Dr. Christy Halbert, who has ran a, an organization there called the Boxing Resource Center in Nashville for like 20 years. She runs uh, Fighters Boxing Gym in Nashville. She's an international women's boxing hall of fame inductee, and she coached the 2012 United States uh, American uh, boxing team in the 2012 Olympics. So uh, super, super accomplished in the world of, of amateur boxing coaching, and she brings a scientific process to how she coaches. And she's, she's built a really, really awesome gym out there, awesome program. I would actually say, I would use the word system. They have a really cool system. And I had a great time working with those guys, getting to meet them in person. And I will be definitely going back out there before the end of the year. And I want to talk to Christy and just get, learn a little bit more about her system, how she implemented that. Very, very scientific. You know, she's very educated in, in that field. And um, I think that she can really revolutionize the amateur system here in the United States if she could get more people listening to her, her um philosophy that's the word i'm looking for her philosophy on on training and i want to do some some stories for ring tv uh with her and her gym oh the phone lines just dropped that's great i don't know why it does this sometimes so i have to call back in to get the phone lines back up but anyway um awesome so thank you to christy to billy everybody at fighters boxing there in nashville tennessee we had a great time meeting you guys and uh, my wife, Tiffany, has a stress fracture in her right foot right now. So she couldn't train. She's actually wearing a boot for a few weeks. So she was really bummed out that she couldn't train. But um, she will be uh, back in there. Well, we'll be back in there. And she'll be training uh, next time we're out there. So it'll be a lot of fun. Just wanted to say thank you to those guys. Uh, if you guys are on Twitter, Instagram, check them out. Check out Billy Falco. Check out uh, Christy's out on Instagram. But Billy is. And Fighters boxing gym in nashville check them out uh pretty active on instagram so make sure you guys check them out all right so uh, let's get into some quick news and notes um won't spend too long on this but uh olympics of course are underway in tokyo the 2020 olympics everything says 2020 olympics like keep thinking this is 2021 right okay i'm not i didn't travel in time it's just weird seeing the 2020 logo on everything and i'm like it's it's halfway through 
more than halfway through 2021, but it, this shit says 2020. Anyway, I haven't watched much of the Olympics. Um, I've talked about this in the past, guys. I, you know, I, uh, I'm not a huge fan of the International Olympic Committee. It's the most corrupt sporting organization on earth. Um, the AIBA is really, really pretty close. They're right there. And FIFA is right there. I, I would say IOC is the worst, followed by FIFA. And then AIBA is, is, you know, giving them a run for the money, but they're not quite on that level. And I'm saying this is a guy who covers boxing for a living, okay? Uh, when people criticize boxing and stuff, I'm like, if you watch FIFA or if you watch the Olympics, then shut the fuck up about boxing corruption, okay? So I, I'm not a huge supporter of the Olympics. When uh, They put on this this positive, we love everybody, yay, kumbaya. I watched like five minutes of the opening ceremony. I wanted to gag and throw up. They put on this whole thing and I'm thinking, yeah, all the slave labor that built all this shit and, you know, props up these these executives who, you know, stay in five star hotels and drink champagne and eat caviar and stuff off of slave labor from third world countries. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I can't. I just can't get down with it anyway. There is boxing going on in the Olympics. Uh, the round of 32 is pretty much completed. There might be a couple more fights, but the round of 16 is underway. Just started. So. Uh, so far, I think five of the six Americans that went, or at least that fought so far, have advanced. I do believe so. But a couple of the results have been controversial in favor of the Americans, which is usually the opposite of what we get in the Olympics when it comes to scoring. Uh, there's always, always issues with scoring in the Olympics, not just with boxing, with, with all these sports, right? With, with uh, gymnastics and figure skating, anything where judges are involved. So th there's... Bold prediction here, guys. Really, really bold. I'm going to go out on a ledge, and I'm going to say by the by the medal rounds in the boxing uh, competition, we're going to get some shitty scores that people are going to be talking about. I know, really, really bold. I'm really stepping out there, but it will happen. All right, so professional boxing. Let's talk about Canelo Alvarez and Caleb Plant. This isn't officially official yet, but pretty much 95% there. September 18th. Las Vegas, Fox pay-per-view. Um, depending on who you talk to, it's it's interesting the way the fanagers go about this stuff, man, because some fanagers, you know, if, if you're riding ride or die 100% with Al Heyman and PBC and, and that's your thing, they're saying, oh, this was some Machiavellian power play because, uh, you know, DAZN got played here, Matchroom got played, Al got this thing on Fox pay-per-view, whatever, right? Which is an interesting take. But then on the other side, the, the, the matchroom bros and the, the zone bros and the anti-PBC people, uh, they're saying, well, you know, well, shit, Al's paying for this thing. Matchroom's sitting there. They're going to make money off this, but they're, they're not having to make the guaranteed purse demands. Neither is the zone. So they won. And it's just interesting to see the, the way people look at all this with the business side of it and the promotional side of it. And they're arguing over who outplayed the other guy as it comes down to like, you know, who's playing chess, who's playing checkers. Meanwhile, I'm just looking at the fucking fight. I don't really care about any of the other bullshit. I just don't. I care about the fight when it comes to the actual fight guys. Here's, here's the good part. Okay. Here's, here's the, here's the really, really good part. This will be the third complete unification of a division really in the last few months with within less than less than six months. I can't tell you the last, I don't think that's ever happened in the four belt era period. I, I, I was going to say, I can't tell you uh, when that's happened before, but I, I don't think it has. 
So to get three complete unifications in the four belt era in less than a year, just within a few months, that's pretty significant. Here's the downside of it, in my opinion, okay? Uh, well, there's a couple. The first one is, I think of the three unification matches, this is the weakest. We had Taylor Ramirez, which was really a pick em fight. Now everyone's saying, oh, I knew Taylor was going to win. No, stop. Some of you predicted it, okay? I, I predicted Taylor to win, but I, I think I did, right? Didn't I predict Taylor? I thought I had Taylor by close decision. Uh, and he ended up being wider than I, than I perhaps thought it would be. I thought it'd be very, very close. But that was a close fight. I mean, people were split on that one, right? Maybe 60-40. And then Charlo Castaño. That was another one where I felt very confident Charlo was going to win. But there were a lot of you out there who correctly said Castaño wasn't getting enough love. And uh, you thought that was a close fight. And it ended up being a draw. Now, a lot of people thought Castaño won. It was controversial. But it was very competitive. Very good fight. Both of those were very good, very competitive fights. Then with this fight, though, Canelo Plant, I just don't see it being as competitive as those two. I, I just think Canelo is on a whole different level, and Plant hasn't fought anybody. He hasn't fought anybody to prepare him for this moment. He's kind of been pampered in a way. I've used the word privileged before to describe fighters, and that's offended people. So now I'm not going to walk that back, and I'll use a different P word. We'll call it pampered. I see Caleb Plant as being one of these pampered kind of guys who, who's now he hasn't been making massive paydays fighting as a prospect like some of these other kids right now are getting. So he hasn't been that pampered, but he hasn't been through uh, the tough matchmaking, the, the grind out type of fights to get him ready for this moment. So he's making a massive leap in opposition. And, and I just, I favor, now he might be able to go the distance. I'm not going to make an official prediction yet. We're, we're too far off. But Canelo's going to dominate this fight. So that, to me, is one of the downsides. The second one is this. Taylor Ramirez was on regular ESPN. Charlo Castaño was on regular Showtime. This fight is going to be on pay-per-view. And in my opinion, this is not a pay-per-view-worthy fight. The reason it's going to pay-per-view is because of the purse demands involved. Caleb Plant is going to make more money in this fight than he has made in his entire career up to this point. Right, He is going to be grossly overpaid. And part of that process is him and his team and everybody involved as management, they pretty much know they're going to lose. Okay, It's going to be very difficult for him to win a decision against Canelo Alvarez in Las Vegas. We've seen plenty of evidence of that in the past. Not to say that there's going to be any shenanigans or anything at play here. Okay, I really think Canelo is going to decisively win. But he's going to have to hurt Canelo win eight, nine, 10 rounds of this fight to, to get a decision. And he just doesn't have the skills, the experience, the power to do any of that. So they know they're going to take an L. Might as well get paid handsomely to get that L. Well, part of that process is you got to take it to pay-per-view. You know that you're not going to do a million pay-per-view buys, a million and a half, but you're going to get enough pay-per-view buys along with the casino buy-in, the international money coming in, and the gouging for ticket prices there in Vegas, that you could probably meet the, the purse demands of both parties or at least get very, very close. So that's what this is, okay? So th that, that's the downside, all right? But um, all in all, 
it's great that we're getting a complete unification of a division. That's always a very good thing. However, and look, I rate Canelo number one pound for pound right now. I, you have to. He, he's been the most active of the top champions. He's been um, fighting often. He's been dominating his opposition. However, cleaning out this division, I don't rate it much higher than when Terrence Crawford cleaned out 140 a few years back. This current 168 division, I don't think is as – it's right at the same level where 140 was when Bud was there. The difference, and here's a big difference, Bud Crawford fought Victor Polstall, who was the second best fighter in, in the division at the time, and blanked him, right? Pretty much a shutout. An undefeated Postal dropped him, shut him out. The second best fighter right now at 168 is Benavidez, and Canelo's not fighting him en route to unifying this division. So there's that. But then again, Canelo did start. Canelo really is a 160 moving up to 68. So I give him full credit, obviously, but I just don't see this as a very strong division. Anyway, that's how I see it. Now, as it comes to uh, Joshua and Usyk, which we're getting, what, a, a week after Canelo versus Plant? September is going to be great, man. Um, I, I We've talked about this before, guys. Look, I just think size matters. And I think that Joshua... I don't think Joshua gets enough respect, particularly from American fight fans who are obsessed with boxers being undefeated. I, I don't know. Guys, it's okay to get knocked out and to come back and come back stronger. Some of the best fighters in the history of boxing have done that, uh, both in the, in the classical era and, and in the modern era. All right. So, so for him to lose to Andy Ruiz, I, I get it. It wasn't the best look. He's levels above Andy Ruiz, and that, he should have dominated that fight. Now, AJ came into that fight compromised. It wasn't 100%, but no excuses. He was also dropped and almost beat by, what, a 42-year-old Klitschko coming off with a two-plus-year long layoff, and, and he was buzzed by Dillian White. And I understand all those things, but I still think Anthony Joshua gets a little disrespected and underappreciated here in the United States. I, I really do. Now, with Usyk, with Usyk, are we underestimating him? Was he maybe in his fights with, uh, what, Chaz Witherspoon and who else did he fight? Um, Derek Chisora. He didn't look amazing. He didn't look bad, but he didn't look amazing, right? He, he looked like, was he struggling? Was he struggling with the size of those guys and the strength? Or was he letting off the gas pedal a little bit not pressing it and trying to just work on some shit and trying to ease into heavyweight or him and his coaches coming into those fights. Like, Hey, let's try to, let's try to at least get to the late rounds, then go for a stoppage. If we go to distance, cool, but let's work on some things. Was he holding back a little bit? Is there more to him at heavyweight that we haven't seen yet that he will reveal in his fight with Anthony Joshua? That's what some of you out there think. Now, maybe that's true. And if it is awesome, but you guys got to remember, man, Usyk fighting at heavyweight. He is fighting guys that are 20, 25% larger in terms of their body mass naturally than he is. He's a 200-pound fighter fighting these dudes that are 240, 250. That's huge. That is a lot. It's much, much different than a guy at 154 fighting at 160 or even a 154 fighting at 168. The, the most difficult move the most difficult transition in boxing is cruiserweight to heavyweight in this era you're taking a massive leap 
in size and strength. The second hardest is light heavyweight to cruiserweight. Okay, there's a 25-pound span there. If you're a natural 175 and you're fighting a natural 200-pounder, dude, that's 25 pounds. That's a lot of weight, okay? Uh, that's not moving from 112 to 115. That, that, that's a significant amount of weight. Now, here's a point that you guys may not consider. We see a lot of cruiserweights move to heavyweight. So a lot of you guys might be saying, oh, well, if it's so hard, why do so many of these guys do it? They do it for the money. Okay, because there's so much more money at heavyweight. If it was so easy, if these huge, you know, making these massive leaps in weight was so easy, why don't we see guys at light heavyweight move to cruiser? You don't see it. There's only been a handful of guys who have done it. Most recently, uh, Tomas Adamek comes to mind. There's a guy who was, I think, underappreciated because he had a title at 75. That dude moved to 200 and was the legit champ. Then he moved to heavyweight and fought Vitaly Klitschko. You want to talk about a badass. That dude had balls of steel. You do not see guys move from 175 to 200 because it's so hard and there's not as much money involved, right? You, they, you see a move from 200 to over 200 because the money opens up. That's the reason why. But if it was so easy to do this, you'd see a bunch of guys winning titles at 75. Then they bounce to 200 and fight for a vacant title, a regular interim silver title, you know, all these damn titles. You don't see that. You don't see it because it's extremely difficult. So I just want to put that out there for some per, uh, perspective, guys. <clears throat> David Hay, Luke Luke uh, brings up David Hay. Well, David Hay, he, start, he didn't start at uh, 75. He started at 200, but yes, uh, David Hay was a, always a pretty big cruiserweight, and he had some success as a heavyweight. He certainly did. Although in that fight with uh, with Klitschko, dude. <laughs> Emma in the chat says, Usyk's power is the issue. It won't be enough to keep AJ off. Also didn't stop any of the elites at cruiserweight. That's a great point, Emma, and that, I've brought that up too. People talk about, um, people talk about AJ's chin. And yes, he's been dropped, but he's been dropped by big, powerful, strong heavyweights. Even Klitschko at 42, probably still at the hardest right hand in the division at the time. And AJ ate it, and he got up, right? Uh, Dillian White could crack. Uh, even, even Andy Ruiz, who, who I get it, he's a pudgy guy and everything. He's still a big, powerful, uh, definitely a harder puncher than Usyk is. He's proven that. So for, for Joshua to get clipped and buzzed and even stopped by some of those guys, that doesn't indicate to me that Usyk can do it. Now, maybe he can. You know, I'd, I'd love to be proven wrong because I love an upset special and I love to witness greatness. And if Usyk beats Joshua, that truly is greatness. But uh, Hamed in the chat says, uh, Mike, Joshua and Usyk is a 50-50 fight. I was at Joshua and Takam and it was close. Um, same thing with Joshua Parker. If Usyk takes it late, he could outbox Joshua. I hear you, brother, but... Parker and Takam are big, strong, powerful guys. Parker has an underrated defense, and Takam is a is a pretty strong uh, guy, a natural heavyweight. So I, I hear what you're saying. I really, really do. But again, size matters. Apex Golden Chat says Plant can't beat Canelo. I agree with you. I, I think that Plant is going to get dominated in that fight. It's going to be all Plant can do to survive it. Um, a couple of you guys were asking about phone lines. Yes, they were open, but I got dropped. 
So I will get the phones back up here in a second. Okay. Uh, let me continue to blast through all this though. I want to get right into the fight review preview and then we'll get uh, the phone lines open. All right. So just give me a second here. Okay. Fight review. Let's talk. There was actually some action last week, uh, starting Thursday, talking about guys moving up to heavyweight. July 22nd, Murat Gassiev scored a TKO4 win over Michael Valish, who is now 3-5 and five in his last eight. This is in Moscow. Uh, Gassiev is 2-0 and oh since his loss, his only career loss to Usyk. But man, that was the summer of 2018. It has been three years. He's only had two fights. A lot of injuries. And then, of course, the COVID thing. But here's the thing. Some people were really excited about this win. I saw a few people tweeting about this. Really excited. Guys, Michael Volich, and I, I don't know if I'm saying the name right. I apologize if not. But as I mentioned, he's only won three of his last eight. Joe Joyce stopped him in three in 2020. Tony Yoka stopped him in three in 2019. FA Jagba stopped him in two in 2019. Christian Hammer stopped him in five in 2018. So for Gassiev to score this kind of win, all that shows to me is he's pretty much on par with those guys, okay? So don't get too excited about Murat Gassiev at heavyweight just yet. The one thing about Gassiev so far is he he I do think he has natural strength and power that will carry to heavyweight better than Usyk. Also, I think he has a pretty damn good chin. He's never been rocked and that I've seen. Correct me if I'm wrong on that, guys. I do think his chin will carry up well. So he's got a chance, but he's got to get way more active, way more active. Friday, July 23rd, uh, it was the 20th, 20th anniversary of Showbox from Nebraska. 20 years of Showbox. I love me some Showbox. Wonderful program that has spawned so many great champions over the years. We need more Showbox in boxing. Anyway, in the main event, no controversy here. Isaiah Steen out of Cleveland hands uh, Calvin Henderson his first professional loss, unanimous decision in a 10-rounder. But controversy in the co-main. Uh, Shenard Bunch out of Trenton, New Jersey, fought Janelson Boca Chica, who was the favorite coming in out of Detroit. Both these guys, 22 years old, welterweights, split draw. Let's see. Uh, Judge Joseph Mason scored it for Boca Chica, six rounds to four. Jeff Sinnott, the other judge, had a draw, and the other judge scored it correctly. Oh, pretty much 90% of you out there feel that bunch who was the you know, the underdog coming in, Vegas underdog, won this fight, six, seven rounds. So this was uh, another shit decision. Uh, a lot of you I saw, there was a lot of outrage about this one on Twitter. And this is the kind of robbery, this is the kind of shit decision that happens more often in boxing that nobody talks about. There was one a couple of weeks ago that I didn't talk about enough on the show here that was on an undercard. Um, we just... I think it was on the yeah, Charlo Castaño undercard. There's too many of these. What sucks about this is, not, thank goodness it was only a draw. Thank goodness that bunch didn't get ripped off so bad that he lost this fight. It, what, and I, I will say it was competitive. It's just, it, it appears that bunch did enough to deserve to win. But when you see a guy take an L that he doesn't deserve early in his career like this, it knocks him down a peg because in boxing, your, your record really helps you get maneuvered in the sanctioning organizations and get into uh, move up the ranks, a mandatory position, a title shot, all of that. 
So when you see a guy take a loss early in his career at the prospect level that he didn't deserve, that that sucks. That's tough. That's really hard to overcome for some of these guys. Uh, it's one thing when you're at the world-class level and you've proven yourself, you take a controversial loss. Sometimes that can help your brand. Look what it did for Gennady Golovkin's brand against Canelo. His brand actually grew, right? So um, these things, you know, it... it, it it uh, affects you differently depending on what stage of your career that you're in. But they need to run this back. Just have a rematch. Put on a rematch. You could do it, do it uh, late this year on uh, another Showbox card. And make it the main event. I think that that would be good. People would be uh, interested in seeing that. Saturday, July 24th, Queensberry Promotions. Uh, Wembley Arena, London, UK. This is on BT Sport over there. United States car, uh, networks didn't pick it up. If you wanted to watch this here, USA, you had to buy the pay-per-view on Fight TV. So props to Fight TV for picking it up. But that's trash that ESPN Plus didn't pick this up. I, I do not understand it. I don't know what's going on with them right now. They haven't picked up some of these UK cards recently. It's very difficult to understand uh, there, there's a weird thing going on between ESPN plus top rank and Queensberry with some of these fights, right? Go back to uh, Josh Taylor and Jose Ramirez. I don't think that was picked up by any UK platform. Just awful. Absolutely awful. Anyway, Joe Joyce TKO six win over Carlos to to improve to 13 and zero. some people thought this was a quick stoppage, including to He was really, really pissed off. I was fine with it. Um, was it a little quick? Yes. It was a little bit quick, but the writing was on the wall. Takam was hurt. It wasn't as if Joyce landed this huge bomb. I think it was a, it was a right, he came right out and just kind of uh, a little slap hook with a right hand right at the start of the sixth round, clearly hurt Takam. And then there were dozens of punches, follow-up punches from Joyce, and Carlos Takam didn't throw one punch. The sequence went on for maybe 30 seconds, and finally the ref had seen enough and he stopped it. So some people were pissed off and thought that uh, it shouldn't have been stopped. But overall, the writing was on the wall. It, look, you got to do more than just cover up and try to survive. You have to throw back. Now, I don't recall if the ref was telling Takam, you got to show me something, you know, you better punch back or I'm going to stop it. I don't remember if the ref said anything like that. If he didn't, then the ref could have handled the situation better. But all in all, after about the third round, this was fourth round. This was pretty much a one-sided fight. Joyce was rolling downhill. The writing was on the wall. It wasn't that terrible of a stoppage. I've seen a lot, lot worse. Let's talk about Joe Joyce real quick. You guys are going to think I'm nuts, but Joe Joyce has something to him. He's slow as hell. He squares up. He doesn't punch very hard. His punches come out uh, very telegraphed. They're arm punches, right? And he's always squared up. His body is right there to be hit. And you can also loop the right hand over the top, which Takam kept doing over and over in this fight. And it landed, right? And there's a short guy with long arms, which Takam is for a heavyweight. Uh, that's the smartest punch you could throw against a big, tall guy who's standing straight up like that. But as I've said a bunch of times in the past, Joe Joyce, first of all, is a huge man. I just a huge human being, okay? Naturally, just a large man. He doesn't spend the same time in the weight room that like Anthony Joshua, guys like him do. But he's every bit as big and strong. He is just a massive human. He's a mountain, okay? And the key element with him 
and I've said this for years now, he is so relaxed. I, I cannot recall a fight, and correct me if I'm wrong here, guys, educate me, but I cannot recall a fight where I saw Joe Joyce huffing and puffing, mouth open, breathing hard, uh, sitting in, or even in between rounds, sitting in his corner, really sucking air, needing a break. I've just never seen it. For a man that huge who throws the amount of punches he does, and he throws a lot of punches for a heavyweight, particularly it's more than just a one-two, which is what 90% of heavyweights do now. He throws all sorts of punches. He throws you know, wind-up uppercuts, uh, hooks, you know, just everything. He throws everything, even body punches. And he's so relaxed. And there's, there is a, it's a slow fluidity, but there is a fluidity to what he does. Because he's so relaxed, because he's punching down at everybody with such leverage, and he's very loose, he snaps the punch at the very, very end, right? A lot of heavyweights, they got the right hand cocked. It's, it's a thing I do. Right hand is cocked before they even throw it, right? And they're using brute strength to push it out. He's just flailing it out there and then snapping it at the very end. Because he's so big and so strong, it's like a whip. And it wears guys down. Now, does that mean he's ready for the winner of the Joshua Usyk fight? No, I don't think he's ready for them. He called them out to his credit because according to the WBO, he is number two right now. Usyk is the number one. He's about to fight Joshua. So Joyce will be in line to fight the winner of that fight. So if I were Frank Warren, and it's funny because the WBO, I call them we're Bob's organization here in America because Bob Arum essentially owns the WBO. But over there in the UK, you guys say the same thing about Frank owning the W. So, so Frank Warren is the UK version of Bob Arum because he owns the WBO with a lot of his fighters fight for WBO belts too, right? So Joe Joyce is going to be positioned for a crack at the WBO title at some point. Uh, the, the winner between Joshua and Usyk, they may vacate that belt and Joyce will fight for a vacant title. Or at some point, maybe if, if Joshua wins, he ends up fighting Tyson Fury. If he beats Wilder at some point next year and Usyk has to take step-aside money, then he gets the winner of that fight. Either way, I'm sorry, not Usyk, Joyce. Uh, he's going to be, he's definitely going to be in line for that title shot at some point in the next 12 months, 18 months. If I'm them, I'm taking it slow. I'd like to see Joyce fight more guys at the Takam level. And like Joe Joyce versus like Joseph Parker would be a fun fight. Even Joe Joyce versus a guy like uh, Oscar Rivas or somebody like that, I think would, would do a lot for him and help him continue to develop. I don't think those guys can hurt him, but they'll give him great rounds, especially I think Joseph Parker would be a perfect fight for Joyce over the next six months or so. Make that fight happen, man. He's got something to him. I'm telling you guys, you're going to think I'm nuts. You're all laughing right now. But uh, juggernaut, Luke, Luke in the chat says juggernaut. Yeah, man, he is the juggernaut. Um, Mantis says Joyce versus Ruiz. Please, I'd love to see that. I, Ruiz's hands are so much faster than Joyce, but Joyce will just punch down at him and club him, you know, uh, like Frankenstein. And it will slowly bust Ruiz up. And it would just be very interesting how that would look going into the later rounds. 
But um, I don't know, you know, with that fight, I don't think it could happen because of the politics involved. Nacho saying Joe Joyce versus Derek Chisora. Mm, that'd be a good one too. It just, the level that Chisora is at right now, yeah. Rock Loggins in the chat says, can't hear you, Mike. You guys can hear me, right? Rock, I don't know, man. It must be, usually it's user user error on my end, but it's pro, it might be user error on your end today, man, because everyone else can hear me. So for once, it's not me, <laughs> I think. <laughs> Correct me if I'm wrong, guys. Uh, is it, Twal in the chat says, isn't Joe Joyce 36? He ain't getting better. It's now or never. I hear you, man. I hear you. I'm not saying take three, four years here. But do you really think, I don't know, man, before he fights Anthony Joshua, because I, I really believe Anthony Joshua is going to be uh, beat Alexander Usyk, before he fights Anthony Joshua, shouldn't he fight a guy like Joseph Parker first, like a, a tall heavyweight who has some athleticism just to get that feel? He fought Daniel Dubois, but Daniel Dubois is a prospect. You know, a, a guy like Parker has so much experience. Emma Willis in the chest says Joyce takes too many shots. It's going to catch up to him. Yes, it is going to be um, Joe Joyce is going, he is going to go as far as his chin will take him. Honestly. All right. A couple of you guys saying it's, it's only him. We hear you. Eric Gomez says yell bomb squad. So we can make sure we hear you. All right. All right. So you guys hear me good. Oh, rock says it's all good. It was me. Hey man, it's cool. It's been me the last 99 times. So it was, it was, you know, finally it wasn't me. All right. So that is the review. Now I'm going to get this preview up here in a second. But before I do that, I want to get the phone lines up. So bear with me um, while I do this, guys. I'm going to have to mute for a second. <clears throat> Hang out one second, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you for calling Colin Studio. Enter your six-digit PIN number. Welcome, host. You are now in the host room and can manage your callers from the Colin Studio. All web right. Interface. All right. We should have phones back up and running. So you guys go ahead. Oh man, we got a bunch of you guys already calling in. Hopefully the phones don't freaking die this time. Let me run through this preview real quick. You guys hang on the lines. I'll get to your calls. But I want to make sure I run through this real quick, okay? Uh, Saturday, July 31st, we have two cards of note. Let's start over in Brentwood, Essex, UK, at uh, Matchroom Fight Camp. Matchroom on DAZN, Khan Shu going up against Lei Wood. Third defense of Shu's WBA regular featherweight title. Now, normally, I would never mention a WBA regular title. But in this case, I really think... Um, it's not on Khan Shu that he only has the regular belt. He should be the super champ right now. Leo Santa Cruz is the current WBA featherweight super champion, even though he hasn't fought in over two and a half years. The last time he fought, I'm sorry, hasn't fought at featherweight in over two and a half years. The last time he did was February 2019. Why the, And he lost his last fight. Why the hell is Leo Santa Cruz still the super champion at 126 by the WBA? It should be Khan Shu or Shu Khan. All right. So I don't blame the Chinese fighter for this. Um, so that's why I'm mentioning his title here, because I do consider him a legit title holder. I know some of you guys are going to think I'm crazy. Uh, this is on the WBA 
pulling their shenanigans. Also, uh, you know, Khan Shu hasn't fought since November of 2019 when he beat Monty Robles the third. He was supposed to fight Josh Warrington, right? They had this unification fight set up. Warrington, uh, that fight first got postponed because he got COVID. Then there was a stay busy fight. He got beat by Lara. That's not on Khonshu. So and then there was other fights that they tried to set up, and those fell through as well. So I do not blame him, all right? Uh, I look at this as a legit title fight. I like Khonshu a lot. This is going to be a fun fight. Also on this card, Connor Ben, 18-0, son of Nigel Ben, going up against uh, rugged veteran Adrian Ganados, who's been in there with everybody. That should be an interesting test. I want to see that one. So that's a decent little card there, right? Good fight freaks kind of card. And then PBC on Fox from TGB Promotions from the Prudential Center in Newark, New Jersey. I will be covering this card for ringtv.com. So look for my recap there Saturday night. Michael Coffey, 12 and 0, 35 years old out of Brooklyn, New York, going up against Gerald Washington out of Southern California. He's 39 years old. He has lost four of his last six fights going back to 2017. So Washington brings in a lot of experience, but right kind of matchmaking for coffee at this time in his career. After this, if he passes this test and blasts Washington out of there, his last fight, by the way, coffee had a KO three win over Domani rock. That was this January, right? Why you got this prospect sitting from January all the way now till July 31st. If he beats Washington and beats him decisively and stops him in the early to middle rounds, which I think he will get him right back in the damn ring within a few months, right? We should see him right back in the ring. And I want to see the step up just a little bit, just a little bit. All right. Uh, for Washington, his last fight was a TKO six loss to Charles Martin last February on the Fury Wilder two undercard. So um, yeah, he hasn't fared well in his, in his last few fights, man. And Hasn't been the most active guy in the world, but I, I do think that um, this is good matchmaking at this point. He does bring in that experience, but if Coffee blasts him out of there, Coffee blasts him out, I want to see them step up the opposition. All right, let's jump to the phones here, guys. We got a UK call first. We'll jump right to it. All right, uh, 741, you're on the show. What's going on? Good evening, Mike. Lawrence from London here. What's up, man? How you doing? Yeah, very good. Sorry, I've not called in in God knows how long, and I've been meaning to every week. I'm like, oh, like I need to, I need to make sure I give Mike a call. But um, yeah, so apologies because I'm, I'm about to give you a hard time, Mike. I tweeted you okay a couple of days ago to say I feel like the Ring magazine made a huge mistake by not reinstating AJ as number one when he. Ruiz and like what's done is done there's nothing you know now the linear title belongs to Tyson Fury but you know every week I attend the church of Mike Montero and he preached the gospel about losses being overrated it's mattering too much people hanging on to their own but in that instance I saw as though the ring basically did exactly what you've been sort of fighting against Hmm. because losses are overrated and say you're Caleb Plant or your uh, Boo Boo or your Charlo of course you'd be inclined to not take on a tough fight if even if you you know you avenge the loss you still won't ever get your number one rating back 
So I, I yeah, that that that's been my main sort of uh, beef with you recently, and and, and other guys that are in um, um, ratings committees. Steve Kim, again, he sort of says the same stuff. Uh, who's the other? Um, I'm trying to remember the other person. Um, yeah, you guys say all the right things. But then when it came to sort of ranking someone that had lost, yes, but then that eventually lost convincingly, he said, no, you can't be number one. In fact, you're number three behind two other guys that don't have as good a resume as you. So I, I just wanted your thoughts on that. Yeah, look, that's an outstanding point. I can tell you that the conversations that were had at the time, first of all, you got to remember that uh, and by the way, a lot of people, a lot of the staff listen to the show, so they're all going to hear you. And I think there's going to be a lot of people that agree with you. But there, our ratings panel consists of people from all over the world. And sometimes we get in these arguments, right? And we're not all on the same page and we have to compromise. After the loss, okay, it was such a bad loss. Now, if you followed my show, then you knew I always thought Joshua was going to win the rematch versus Ruiz. And I, I, I do preach that losses are overrated. But at the time, technically speaking, okay, uh, Deontay Wilder was undefeated. Tyson Fury was undefeated. And the reason why they were number mm -hmm. one and number two is because it's not just because they were undefeated. It's because they had fought each other to a draw. and um, Joshua had not only suffered a loss, but a loss where he was dropped, what, three, four times, stopped. Mm -hmm. um, and I thought he looked good in the rematch. I personally think that uh, Joshua in that rematch, his performance is, is underrated because I thought he boxed very intelligently. But there were people on the ratings committee that thought he looked timid, scared, you know, shook a little bit. And so those things counted against him. But it was convenient timing for Fury and Wilder, mm -hmm. that they were number one and number two. I, I tweeted this out, I think, last week. And, you know, I took some flack for it, but a lot of people agreed with me. I think the winner, September 25th, will be the best heavyweight in the world on that night. I, I really, really do. Because yeah. Fury and Wilder haven't fought in a year and a half. Exactly, yeah. Uh, it's, the, the heavyweight division has been put in a, in a bit of a quagmire because of, yeah, the antics between Wilder and Fury, but um, you know, I mean, I, look, it, I can understand that uh, it would have been much better for AJ if he blasted Ruiz out and free, like did a Lewis McCall. Yeah, you took a bad loss, but you looked, you know, looked exceptional on on um, on taking vengeance. Right, but, like most people didn't want to see a third fight because they were convinced that AJ was head and shoulders above Ruiz on the second fight. Um, so yeah, I, I just think it's a bit of a shame because honestly, AJ is very flawed, but he fights he fights everybody, and Agreed. so he will take a loss eventually. Um, so yeah, if we if we do say, oh well, we're going to rank people higher because they're undefeated, regardless of the fact that their resume is really really padded, it's, it makes it it makes it harder to convince like a prospect or someone that has ambitions of getting into the number one spot to take those risks because ultimately they'll think it's not worth it. Yeah, it's it's a very, very good point. And if if it were solely up to me, um the Fury versus Wilder fight, I don't think it would have been for the Ring Magazine championship. I mean, 
I agree with you that both Fury and Wilder, particularly Wilder, but Fury gets too much of a pass. Their resumes mm. are not very good. Uh, if Fury has the best wins right now in the heavyweight division on paper, okay? But that win yeah. against Klitschko, I've talked about this a million times. There's an asterisk in front of that win for me, in my opinion, because mm-hmm. Fury had been on performance-enhancing drugs that same year. There was no drug testing for the fight with Vlad. So that 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 counts in my mind. And then with the win over Wilder, I still think Wilder's largely unproven. You know, people were calling him yeah. this elite yeah. level heavyweight, this Hall of Fame level heavyweight. And I'm like, what the hell are you guys watching? So, so yeah, yeah. It, it, they just, they all need to fight each other, brother. That's how we're going to get this sorted out. Fingers crossed. You know, my sort of conspiracy theory, and I'll, I'll, I'll cut after this because I, don't, I know you've got uh, several other uh, calls on the line. But um, I, I genuinely think Al Heyman and Bob Arum have no real interest in playing ball because they suspect that if they give all the chips away to Matchroom, they won't get another look in. And so I, I, I struggle to see, like it's taken this long and there's the only thing I can think of, of why they wouldn't want to engage in that fight and why, because all the money is there is because it's a, it's a power play. Like they need at least one of these belts. Now they've got the rim. They need to, to, to be relevant in the division because I suppose if AJ wins, Eddie Hearn could just keep all four belts at heavyweight in house. Yeah. Yeah. And right now for PBC, um, Deontay Wilder is the biggest star. He He's the, the most bankable yeah. fighter that they have on their roster. And for top rank in terms of money, Tyson Fury's their biggest star in terms of raking in money. So yeah, yeah. Um, there's, there's, you know, big implications for all this. So, so you make a good point, you know, and I, I agree with a lot of it, but timing is everything. Oh. And um, as you know, it, it just lucked out for these guys. And now, yes, the, our champion is, is Tyson Fury. We'll see what happens though, over the next six months. Yeah. Fingers crossed we get that fight, but you know, I've, I've sort of, uh, I've got less and less optimistic over time. But yeah, thanks for taking the call, Mike. All right, man. Have thanks a good one. As always. I'm, I'm, I'm going to attend church next week and the week after, as I always do. Okay. All right, man. Have <laughs> yeah. a good one. See you. You right. Yeah, I know some of you guys on there won't won't like some points made in that call, but they're they're fair points. You, you know, um, I I tend to agree that Anthony Joshua top to bottom, has the best resume in the heavyweight division. But the best wins right now belong to Tyson Fury on paper. He he beat Klitschko first uh, before Joshua did, and then he beat uh, Wilder, decisively beat him, right, when Wilder was undefeated. So those are the two best wins. And then Wilder has some of the most exciting wins because of his knockout power with the right hand. So all three of them bring a different thing to the table. But I would say top to bottom, as far as fighting the most top 10 guys, that, that's Joshua. You can't deny it. The guy has a great resume. All right, back to the phones. <clears throat> 805, you're on the show. What's going on? Hey, Mike, what's going on? It's uh, Nacho. Nacho, what's um, going on, brother? Nothing much. Um, as far as this weekend, it was pretty light on uh, action. But uh, with uh, Joe Joyce, um, 
I'm kind of in the boat, like I mentioned, Derek Chisora. I think at this point you got to put this guy in there with some really, you know, tested veterans because, like someone said, he's in his mid-30s and you don't have a whole lot of time to waste. So I think this fight um, this past weekend against Takam was, a, you know, it's a decent step up. And he went in there and, and he did what he had to do. Um, I thought he looked, he had a good performance. The only thing I was kind of concerned about, and I've seen it not just in this fight, but in other fights, is um, Joyce's defense tends to be a little lackadaisical, to say the least. Um, He always tends to kind of uh, throw uh, shots that kind of keep him off balance, and then guys will wing punches and hit him with these kind of windmill-like shots that he just doesn't uh, put his hands up to block. And Takam was landing these, like, right-handed uh, windmills at times and landed clean. And a couple of times I thought that he landed some some pretty hard ones that I thought Joyce took well, but that's not a good sign when you're fighting a guy who's a lot smaller than you. I would hate to see what would happen if Joshua or somebody his height or bigger landed those kind of right hands on him. Um, mm-hmm. so, you know, he still has certain issues that, you know, he still needs to work on. But the one thing I did like about his performance was that he didn't load up on his punches as the fight, uh, went along. He just kind of gradually just got touch. himself into the action, used, used his jab to touch up, uh, mm-hmm. to calm. And then slowly but surely as the fight went on, he started to hit him to the body more and more. And then you could see to not really wanting to, um, engage as much once that happened and then in the sixth round when he hit him with that left hook that stunned him and basically had him falling backwards and then uh, Joyce jumped on him and, and you know started to tee off on him and basically you know ended the fight um, I found it a little interesting that some people were saying oh that was a terrible stoppage like yeah. you know Takam was still on his feet he didn't go down you know blah 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 but then the thing I don't get sometimes is, like, why is it that um, a guy has to get, like, literally either dropped or laid out in order for it uh, to be, you know, a good stoppage? Like, Takam wasn't throwing anything back. Exactly. He was getting hurt. He got hurt a couple of times and just basically was just trying to hang on. So to me, at that point, if you're just doing that, you're not really fighting back. And at that point, the referee has the the option to stop the fight and that's what happened but i don't know i think just sometimes people kind of tend to get up in arms about something even when it is legit because they'll complain that you know something was premature or whatever um but like i was saying i think chisora parker um you know yoka hell even dominic brazil might be a a good uh, option for joe joyce at this point you just need guys in there that have gone rounds and, you know, have experience and can kind of, you know, get him to that next level. I definitely would like to see him take at least one more fight before he gets the winner of Yusek and Joshua because why wait six months or longer to fight them? You should just get back in there and work on your craft even more, you know, but we'll, we'll see what happens. Um, with uh, the fights coming up this weekend, I... I like Shukan. I think he's entertaining um, to watch. And honestly, I think this is a stay-busy fight for him. 
Um, like you were saying, it doesn't make any sense that he's not considered the guy at 26 for the WBA because Santa Cruz is never going to fight at 26. Right. I don't understand what they're waiting for. He's pretty much going to stay at 30 moving forward. I don't see him ever coming back down. So they should just give him the the that they should have Santa Cruz vacate and give him the title. I mean, he's never going to fight at 26. And I would definitely like to see him fight somebody after this fight that, you know, do a title unification. I mean, honestly, I think him and Navarrete would be a hell of a fight if it ever happened. I mean, those two guys would just be throwing leather all night. I mean, that would be a great, that'd be a great fight. And then um, with the other fight, I'm kind of mixed on Connor Ben. There's a part of me that thinks that Eddie Hearn and his team have done a really good job so far of matching him correctly and kind of making him look a little bit better than he is. And this fight, to be honest, I don't feel is any any different. Granados is a decent guy, but at this point, he's kind of a journeyman. He's just a guy who's been in there with a bunch of people, and he goes rounds for the most part, doesn't really get stopped. But I think that uh, Ben is being matched um, somewhat carefully again with Granados. I think Granados puts up a fight, but I think Ben gets him out of there and probably uh, seven or eight, I think somewhere along the line. I think Granados has taken a lot of punishment over the last couple of years when he's been in there with guys. And I think eventually that's going to start to erode his ability to take a shot. So I think uh, Connor Ben wins that fight uh, via stoppage, um, you know, later on in the fight. And then with the, uh, the PBC card, Coffee is kind of in the same boat as Joyce, I think. Yep. They're two guys who are very similar in age and, and stature and style. So same thing with him. I think Gerald Washington is a decent step up, and he should win this fight. And then moving forward, yeah, they got to fast-track him um, as quickly as possible because, you know, a guy at his age, you can't wait uh, till he gets to 20 fights to get him a, a, a title shot. I think the quicker you can get him to a title shot, the better. And he, he should win that fight. And then the other one with the rematch with um, Milnicki and uh, Martin, that's going to oh, be yeah. interesting to see how Milnicki handles how Milnicki handles coming back uh, after losing to this guy. Um, it'll be uh, because there was a lot of uh, a lot of people were saying that he lost that fight because he had trouble making weight before, uh, the week of the fight, and also too there were uh, stories going around that I guess Milnicki, who was with Joe Goosen. Apparently, he left uh, Goosen's camp and flew back home and hooked up with another trainer. But apparently, he must have done that like too late in the in the camp to, you know, kind of acclimate and be able to lose the weight and make weight without any issues. So I'm curious to see how uh, Melnicki responds this weekend in this rematch. Um, if he's the prospect that PBC says he is, I think he goes in there and he should win this time around. But if he was to lose, like I think that's a bad, that's a bad sign for his career to lose two back-to-back fights to a guy that he t- essentially was supposed to beat. So yeah, I really hope the kid, uh, you know, I, I hope the kid uh, ends up winning this weekend. But it, I'm definitely going to be curious to see how he handles uh, the fight this weekend. Um, and uh, I was going to bring, oh yeah. And then really quick, uh, Mike, um, 
what do you think of the they have a card next weekend PBC does in I don't know I think it might be here in LA um there's a kid on there that I've been watching them a prospect of theirs Stan Jonas what do you think of him is that the Lithuanian kid yes the welterweight yeah uh I'm trying I want to look him up real quick because I want to make sure he's fighting on that card It'd be what August seven, I think. Yeah. Because I'm trying to think, who did he fight last? Let's see. Let's see. He fought. I think it was Justin Deloach towards the end of last year, and he stopped him. He stopped him in like six or seven. Yeah, like he started slow, but then uh, let's see. Where's this card? I don't see a PBC card next Saturday. Um. Yeah, they just announced it a couple, like about a week or so. Oh, okay. They said they were going to do a card. Oh, you know what? Yeah, yeah, for some reason, California cards don't always get listed on the schedule. Um, there's some weird thing with the commission there. But yeah, I remember that Lithuanian kid. Uh, he started a little slow, but he he poured it on when he needed to, and he's definitely got something to him. Um, I'm trying to yeah. think that last fight. I was, you know, I wasn't impressed early on, but he closed strong. And, um, yeah, so if they're yeah. going to have him back on air, yeah, I'm going to definitely check it out. Yeah, I, I think he's one of the better prospects they have on their roster. Yeah. And right now the kid's not getting a whole lot of attention, but I think he's a legit – I think he's going to be a legit guy at 47 um, for as long as he can make 47 because he's a big kid at 47. Like Sturdy. He looks like he, he – Real sturdy. Be, yeah, he looks like he should be a junior – he looks like he should be a junior middleweight as big yeah. as he is, but he makes 47 somehow. But I like the way he fights, and I think he's got some some skills to him. And uh, I think uh, he's going to be like the next guy to be in the mix uh, sooner rather than later because he's been getting stepped up like the last year or so gradually, his competition. Mm-hmm. And it just seems like he rises to the occasion each time. But I like the way that kid looks. So. All right, Mike. That's right, my man. call. I'm sure there's other people waiting. <laughs> yeah, all, right. all right. Thanks a lot, Nacho. Good stuff as always, man. All right. all right. Yeah, no problem. Yeah. Yeah, I'm trying to think of when that fight was. Stanionis, I remember that. And um, I just remember thinking he he's he's just a solid, almost as a wrestler kind of build to him. And uh, so far, he can be hit, but he's shown an ability to uh, absorb those punches and keep pushing forward and pressuring guys so it's gonna be interesting to see uh, as he steps up if he can continue to do that cj duncan with the super chat thank you so much cj he says ring magazine ring magazine should send montero to tucson for the oscar valdez fight that would be awesome man uh september 10th oscar valdez fighting robson conseco that's gonna be fun there in tucson um those guys you know uh there's uh, a good reason why they're matching them two together uh, good stories there. I like that fight a lot. I think we got somebody going to Tucson, though. I think somebody's already called that assignment. I'm going to be in the middle of training for something. Um, I got some things going on out here, some competitions. So I probably shouldn't be traveling at that time. But I know you're going down there, CJ. Have a blast, man, because that's going to be a really, really fun atmosphere. I know I asked you how long the drive is. You're like, shit, that's like seven hours or whatever. You're flying down there. Go down there and have a good time, man. Um, I will be back at the fights, guys. Um, 
later this year, you know, fourth quarter. And then going forward, I'll be going to fights again. Right now I'm training for stuff. I have competitions I'm going to be in. So I'm just trying to be good. When you travel, you have to eat out and you can't count your calories. You can't count your macros when you're trying to drop weight and, and you know, keep all that stuff clean. Cause you have to make weight, um, you know, traveling, not good. This weekend was a little different. We just drove a few hours. We were able to pack some food with us, me and my wife. It helped. So, uh, and that was good. That ain't good. No, no big deal. But when you're flying to a city across the country, very, very different scenario. So I promise I'll be seeing you guys at the fights again, fourth quarter of this year and beyond. I promise this is just a temporary thing. Oh man, we got a million calls guys. I don't know if we'll get to all these <laughs> 507. You're on the show. What's up? Hey, Mike Mantis here. How you doing? I uh, just had a real two quick questions for you. Okay. Uh, first one is what's your thoughts on people getting into boxing, repping, or judging middle or later in life? I think it's great. Is it I, worth doing? Is it too late? Yeah. Well, so if you're if you're doing it for money, then no, it's not worth doing. But if you're doing it because no. You yeah, it'd be a hobby type thing. Then absolutely do it. What state are you in? Minnesota. Okay, yeah. Then yeah, you there's plenty of amateurs going on there. You guys have plenty of activity. I would absolutely get involved um, and start with the amateurs and um, work up from there. But yeah, definitely, dude. I would do it. Absolutely. I figure it's better than complaining about the judges. Might as well be one, right? There you go. Exactly. And then last one here. What's your thoughts on the towering inferno Sebastian Fundora is feeling? What do you think he can do? You know, if he can keep making 154, he's going to be a problem, man. The thing is... Which is damn impressive on its own, isn't it? Yeah, that's, you know, and his, his sister, by the way, she fights and she's built just like him. They have the same build. Their family is just tall and very, very thin, but super long limbs. Um, but he's just, he's punching down with so much leverage. He does kind of have a relaxed kind of nature in the ring, but he fights with passion. He fights with pressure. Um, he, he does have a lot of different punches. It's more than just a simple one, two, which a lot of guys with his build, that's what they'd be taught to throw. He does a lot of different things. I think a 154 is a problem. The question is going to be if he can't make 54 anymore and has to move to 60, has to move to 68, and he's not going to be stronger than everyone that he's fighting, then the skills are going to come into play. And that's when we're going to see some things start to erode and, and uh, some chinks in the armor. But at 54, he's a problem, dude. Absolutely. Awesome. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. I like the, uh, there were talks with him and, Oh, I forget his name here now. Um, but talk to him and the guy who's 33 and only 154. Should, they should be next, I guess. Um, but yeah, looking forward to it. Thanks for taking my call. Thanks, man. Have a good one. You too. Minnesota. You know, that's one of the few states I haven't really checked out that much. Uh, Minneapolis. I've only been there for layovers. I've never been to Minneapolis, the Twin Cities. I'd love to check that area out sometime. But they have a pretty healthy scene up there. All right, back to the phones we go. 513, you're on the show. What's going on? Hey, Mike. Uh, it's Andrew. I wanted to get your thoughts a little bit on the the ordered uh, 
WBO mandatory for Terrence Crawford. I guess he might be fighting Sean Porter, maybe if maybe. <laughs> right, yeah, yeah. Keyword maybe, Andrew. Um look, the WBA WBO has ordered it. Uh the BO follows their rules, unlike some other organizations. So if Crawford wants to keep that belt, apparently he's gonna have to fight Porter. So I think we're gonna see Uncle Al and Grandpa Bob play along here. Um, if they can't make a deal, which wouldn't surprise me, it will go to purse bid. So if it goes to purse bid, the, the fight will get done. I, I do think we see it before the end of the year. I, I, I'm very hopeful. I'll put it to you that way. Yeah, because uh, I mean, that, I mean, you know, uh, yeah, I, I, I would be pulling for Sean Porter in that fight as an Ohioan. And, I mean, I, I got a root for him, but. I'm real nervous that boxing politics somehow might get in the middle of this because Al Heyman has seemed very intent on shutting Crawford out of the picture at 147. And his prospects at top rank are starting to look up with fighters moving up from 140. Yeah. Yeah, for, for Crawford, there's going to be opportunities for these guys moving up from 140. And he, even Tiafimo Lopez at one point, he's going to move to 40 and then 47. So it really depends on how long Crawford wants to stay around. He can also, the WBO has a rule. If if Crawford wanted to move to 154 and he can put in a request with the WBO because he's their champ at 147, they would make him the mandatory at 154. So if he wanted to go up there and challenge uh, Castaño, he could. So there are options for Terrence Crawford. Now, here's what's interesting. He has one fight left with his top rank deal. One fight. So if you're Bob Arum in top rank, you'd like to make it a big fight, correct? A fight between him yeah. and Porter, you and I may not think that's a pay-per-view worthy fight, but it would be a pay-per-view fight. And maybe that does 200,000 buys, but the money that would generate would get everybody paid. Everybody eats well. They're happy. And then we'll see what Terrence Crawford does from there. But because there's only one fight left on the contract, I that that adds an extra ingredient. And that's why I'm confident that we'll see Crawford and Porter. Because if that fight goes well, that promotion goes well, maybe people over on PBC can start whispering in Terrence Crawford's ear because he'll be a free agent after that. So we shall see. Yeah, well, uh, the thing that I'm hoping for that works out, if they don't make a deal, it goes to first bid. I, you know, I've seen something that Eddie Hearn said that he might be interested bidding on that fight. That'd be it's awesome. His own fight, no paper. <laughs> we all we we all win. So I'll let yeah. you get I'll let you get back to it, man. Appreciate you giving me your thoughts. All right, thanks a lot, Andrew. Have a good one, brother. All right, you too. Yeah, look, man, cousin Eddie could crash that party. And if it did go to purse bid, and that's the thing too, if you're, if you're Aram and Heyman, here's where you can get really get into the Fanager stuff. You know what I'm saying? Cause there's so many different ways this thing could go. And it is kind of fun to imagine it all. Uh, Heyman and, and Aram, they, they want to shut cousin Eddie out because he's really starting to beat the shit out of them in different ways. So if they, if it goes to purse bid, Eddie Hearn could win the purse bid, pull that fight, overpay Terrence Crawford by by a mile, right? Put on this crazy promotion, big, big crowd. I'm, it's not going to be what Canelo and Saunders did, but it would be a big, big crowd maybe if they did it right. 
And Andy Hearn knows how to do that. And then you can say, you know, hey, mate, you know, watch sign with them and you could come with me. And you can say, my accent turns Australian. And then he could uh, he could start throwing out, you know, the offers and he might pluck Terrence Crawford from both Grandpa Bob and Uncle Al. So there's that possibility as well. So there's a million different ways this thing could go. But I still think we're going to get Crawford and Porter. And I like that fight. I do like that fight. All right, back to the phones. 570, you're on the show. What's up? Hello, Mike. Uh, great callers today. Uh, one one point I want to make before I get started. Tom Jonas fought the May the 12th in April. That was it. it. He was okay. Yeah. Wasn't anything great in that fight, but but he's a big kid. He's got some talent, but it'll be nice to see him fight the step-up guy, supposedly, um, that they have scheduled. I, they just don't have it up. So, yeah, you're right. You're and that went the distance. That the was the fight that I kept thinking of because I think that was at a catch weight. That wasn't at the full welterweight limit. Yeah. And I think the catch weight may have, may have affected standing on us to a degree because he just didn't look as explosive as he had looked before. He wasn't fluid. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Yeah. It wasn't. Yeah. He didn't carry a lot of his power that fight. So it went 12 and he won. So uh, with, with Joe Joyce, I want to run this by you. Do you see any glimpses of a 40-year-old George Foreman in him, his style, the clubbing? He's a great jabber. He's got that telephone pole jab. He's got a sturdy chin. You can't hurt him. And he's very economical. He doesn't use up a lot of motion and, and stamina. So uh, I think he, he just reminds me of an older George Foreman in that regard. He doesn't have his power, but he has that, that aura about him in the ring. Very relaxed, coming forward, plotting, and beating you down, beating you down, beating you down. That's a damn good comparison. I, I think he can be outboxed. I think a guy like Otto Valine, who ro- flies under the radar, would be a problem for him. But if you put him up against a guy like Dill- uh, Dillian White, I think he knocks White out. I think his style hmm. is conducive to getting through. So that's the fight I'd make if I was his manager. I would try to get Dylan White and steal his ranking. Um, you know, so we'll see. But I. I'm I'm wondering if uh, Luis Ortiz, I wonder if uh, Al Heyman will sell him out and uh, maybe have him fight uh, the juggernaut. Because I I'd, think that's I'd love another to see easy it. knockout win for the juggernaut. I'd love yeah. to see it, man. I, and, you and know, just yeah, if if, if the juggernaut knocked out Luis Ortiz, <laughs> that would blow some heads up on Twitter, especially if he did it easier than Deontay oh, yeah. Wilder did, right? Well, right, and I think that's why Heyman mothballs. Ortiz. I don't think they want him getting exposed. I don't know if you know this, but Tony Soprano is uh, the actor, Lake uh, Gandolfini. Mm-hmm. He was supposed to take the role of uh, Robert California in The Office on TV. The sitcom. Oh, yeah. HBO yeah, paid him $3 right. million dollars to turn that deal down. Yeah. Yeah. They paid him $3 million to say no to that deal because they want to preserve his aura of Tony Soprano. Al Heyman is trying to preserve the aura of the boogeyman Ortiz, and he doesn't want him fighting anybody unless it's a bump. So that's why we see him mothballed, as I like to call it. Hmm. But I'd like to see that fight. That would be another great opponent. But I'd stay away from Otto Valin because he, he flies under the radar. He took a prime Tyson Fury to the distance, and that was a close fight. And, it, and that's another win for Fury that's very low on the radar. Hmm. I think okay. it shows the class of both fighters. So I have a question for you. I've been looking for this all over. I haven't found it. What is the WBC 30-day weigh-in report for Spence versus Pacquiao? 
I haven't seen any report. Interesting. And there's always that that 30 day report, and it's not publicized. And I'm curious because I that's something I've been looking at because I want to bet that fight. And I um, and I saw photos of Errol Spence in the gym, most notably <laughs> of a, a close up photo that's going around on the internet of his torso. He is basically right now looking like a bodybuilder. He has no fat on him whatsoever. And it's that that build that looks like a guy using HGH or steroids. So I want to know what his weight is right now because he has no fat on him in training. And I know that to maximize any kind of PED stack, you do it about six to eight months before a competition to get really good results. And you'll pass all the drug tests within a four month period. If you stack out eight months in advance, so I want to know the weight. If he's weighing like 180 pounds, or 170 pounds right now, or 165, it'll show that he can't get down to 147 without some kind of help because his body right now looks like a bodybuilder in the gym. Man, I'm looking and at the WBC's. The yeah, I'm looking at the WBC's um, Twitter feed, and there is nothing about a. Hmm. The way it, uh, let me see. He's got. Very suspicious. I wonder if that should. This is a you know it's for a unification because uh, Spence has two belts, but that should still be in play. Right. I will absolutely contact oh, yeah. the WBC and find out. Hmm. Oh yeah, because Golovkin when he fought Kell Brook, yeah, it was, it was a WBC and uh, they they had the thirty day weigh in. I remember Golovkin and Brook and and all these other fights, but they don't have anything with Spence and Pacquiao. I think that's uh, a little suspicious. I really do. I will get on that, because my man. Because it really does come out that he's like, if he's 30 pounds over and he's looking like a bodybuilder where he has no body fat. I mean, literally, look at the guy. It looks like he has 4% body fat. And Spence is normally a pudgy guy. He has that, that, like that alcohol drinker's look in the face. He's got that pudgy face. And it, now his body is completely shredded. I mean, it is shredded. So he he has no weight to lose. If he's like a, a buck eighty, you know, then that's then then you're then that's telling you something. So I'm curious because he's only a two to one favorite over Manny right now at some outlets. He's only like minus two hundred, minus two twenty at William Hill. And yes. Manny coming off a two year layoff, giving up thirty pounds in size to this guy, perhaps when they step in the ring. Because I know Manny will be about a one fifty. Spence he could come in at one seventy, one eighty. And there's no way a little Manny's going to be able to push him or, or get by him. I mean, he had problems with Margarito at 150 when Mar Margarito had to shrink down. And it was at cash weight. And that fight took a lot out of Manny. Not a lot of people know that, but Margarito damaged Manny in that, in that fight. He busted yeah. his eardrum. So, yeah. So I'm, I'm, I'm just baffled at the odds. It's screaming undervalue on Spence, which kind of tells you something might be up. And I just can't see how Manny gets a decision on a PBC card. Um, so, yeah, I'd like your input on that after I, I get off the phone with you now. Okay. There's one more thing, and that's the uh, the Crawford the Crawford and uh, Porter matchup. And and that last caller was kind of right on with uh, his assessment that politics might get involved. If you remember way back, Adonis Stevenson, and uh, he hadn't had a mandatory for the WBC in like six years. And Kovalev petitioned to fight him as a mandatory of the WBC. Well, 
it ended up going to purse bid because Heyman didn't want to make the fight, um, you know, straight up where it's like, all right, 50, 50 split or whatever. Heyman wanted it to go to purse bid because they knew they had the money at the time when he had, uh, that, um, Waddell and Reed's money to buy, to, to, to win that purse bid. And they knew Kovalev couldn't fight off of HBO. So it was a done deal. I wonder if something similar will be done here. Um, I know Heyman, he doesn't want to give out his fighters to any other promotions unless it's, it's absolutely a must. So with that being said, I, I know he wants to freeze Crawford out. So does he pull something to get to win a purse bid perhaps where Crawford might not be able to take that fight on Fox or Showtime or whatever outlet they have it? I I just see some kind of hijinks coming down. I don't think either party wants that fight, Crawford or Porter. And I don't think either promotion wants that fight, but I think they're going to try to torpedo it somehow. That's just my opinion, but I don't see that fight going down, even though that's the fight that Crawford absolutely must have. And if he doesn't, he's got to be taken off a pound-for-pound list because he still hasn't fought an elite fighter. I don't care what anybody says about his resume. It is average. Average. When Postal is your best opponent ever fought and and a, a blown-up featherweight, that lightweight. So if you can get to those points, I'd be very happy to hear. I know right, you have a lot of other callers coming up, but all right, yeah. I'll be listening. Thank you. Okay, thanks a lot, man. Uh, with the WBC 30-day weigh-in thing, that is a that is a great question because we are less than 30 days out from that fight, and I haven't seen anything posted. While while uh, Thad was talking on that call, I just looked on the WB site. I didn't see anything, and I pulled up their um, their Twitter profile. And I didn't see anything. So uh, I will. I'll ask a few people this week. I'll, I'll email a few folks. And if I have to, I'll call a few folks and, and find out because it's very interesting that that wasn't posted. That's usually something that we see a lot. So uh, to not have a 30 day weigh in for this fight, such a big, big fight. And we have VADA testing. Um, that's been announced. That's been, uh, on VADA's uh, Twitter profile. So uh, for the WBC to not talk about the weigh in, that's interesting. Now, as far as, Spence Porter, I'm sorry, uh, Crawford Porter. Um, look, there's a million different ways that can go. I just got to think, um, because of that normally look, if, if Crawford had five fights left on the deal with top rank, I don't think the fight would be get made. There'd be some way it doesn't get made, but because there's one fight left there, there are people out there that are are going to want to sign Terrence Crawford. So I do think that there, that gives you a, a, a bigger hope that this fight can get made. Is there going to be crazy shenanigans behind the scenes, you know, with this stuff, with the purse bid? Yeah. Guys, it, it, it's a nasty business, dude. Boxing is a tough, tough business. It's like politics. All politicians play dirty. All promoters play dirty. All sanctioning organizations play dirty. So there's going to be some crazy twists with this whole situation, but I'm remaining hopeful that this thing works out in that we get the fight um, because it would be, I agree with that where, where Crawford needs this. 
if you can't get the fight with Porter, then you have to think about moving to 54 to try to get a fight with Castaño because that's a big fight. That's a pound-for-pound-worthy fight. But if you can't get that, then you need to be calling out Josh Taylor. You, you have to because that's a pound-for-pound level fight. But other than Porter, which I don't know if that's pound-for-pound, pound, but that's that's a top-10 proven veteran welterweight. Uh, Crawford needs something like that real soon because his resume at welterweight is just not impressive. All right, back to the phones we go. Let's jump to another call here. Uh, three, whoa, three one seven. You're on the show. What's up? Hey, what's up, Mike? Jack Alter. Jack, what's going on, man? Yes, sir. Uh, hey, I actually didn't get a chance to talk about Castan. Uh, Dude, I just got off work. This is like the perfect time. So. Uh, also, though, try and give me like a chance to talk because I noticed you cut you <laughs> you cut me short more than anyone else. Like, okay, all right, go ahead, go ahead. The floor is yours, Jack. Go, you go. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Okay. So, Castano and Charlo. I'm sorry, dude. That was a robbery. That was a fucking robbery. And I, you know, I know you you're with rings, so you can't say bias. And I probably know in your head, you're a smart guy. You know how to score fights. Castano uh, clearly won. You, you may say differently, but I think you know and I know he won. That 117-111 card was bullshit. I don't think. I'm sorry. It, it just was. <laughs> Dude, my dad was so pissed because, uh, like, I rewatched it with him, and it was his first time watching. Oh, what's up, Isan? And, uh, dude, that, he was like, oh, what a bunch of horseshit. <laughs> like, cause, dude, Castano clearly won that fight. And I was, I got another prediction right, I would say, because I said before the fight, it's 50-50. And I was worried, though, because you were saying how easily Charlo would beat him. And I was saying, if Mike thinks it's going to be really one-sided, and you got to be care- uh, you got to be careful, because Mike knows the shit. But I was saying to myself, people are... They're underestimating Castaño and they're overrating Jermel. I've always felt Jamal was the better brother. He's not fighting the best challenges, but I definitely think he's the better brother. His jabs, you know how much granite is in Jamal Charlo's chin? That dude can take a punch. And Jermel, uh, I mean, his chin's like decent. He's been dropped and like hurt a few times. Uh, Jamal has better jabs, better ring IQ, and he has like better. I mean, power similar, but I just feel like Jamal's better. But, uh, yeah, that's just what I wanted to say about that fight. And then um, another thing I wanted to talk about uh, is <laughs> someone said Jack old enough to stay up for late fights. <laughs> oh, Jack's uh, talking to me on the phone and looking at the comments in the fucking comment section. I love it, man. You're a multitasker, Jack. Yeah, because because I'm on my computer, so I can see. Oh, your okay, face. okay, okay. <laughs> so I can see your face. I got like, you. Any of the shit I say, and then I'll talk to you on the phone. <laughs> so uh, another thing I talk about is Triple G. Like, like people make jokes. I talk about. I usually don't talk about Triple G on this show. Like I used to, but we got to talk. Like, dude, this is making me so upset. Because look, I know the dude's 39, but he had all this time where he was ducked, and there's no question. I don't want to hear he was a bum and no one ducked him because he was ducked massively. So, and then all of a sudden now when he has a chance to fight Andre, which he's, okay, we can't say anything's official yet, but from the looks of it, it looks like he's just going to stay inactive until he fights Murata in December. And let me say this right here, right now, bro, Murata fucking sucks. He's, he's shit. 
he sucks. Dude, you would be Murata. Oh. <laughs> he sucks. No, no, okay. You wouldn't be Murata, obviously. That was just a joke. But uh, he, he's over. He's not good. He lost to Rob Grant. It's it's definitely the worst. Corey Falk said he's a Triple G denier now. I'm just upset. I'm just upset because my favorite fighter, because he would easily beat Andre. And what do you think, Mike? He would easily beat Andre. It would be easy. Andre has no chin. And it'd be a good win for his legacy. Is, is it my turn to talk, Jack? Okay. <laughs> I'm just fucking with you, bro. Um, I'm just fucking. Um, it's a complicated situation, okay? So I'll put it to you this way. And I've said this before. Golovkin is at a point in his career, and I'm not saying I like this. I'm not saying I hate it. I'm just saying this is the way it is. I am paraphrasing things that he's told me um, and his team has told me and things that have come from his wife, okay, who has taken a more active role in um, what's going on in that career. They feel that they have been screwed over by the sport of boxing. They feel that they have made concessions for other people. They've played by you know other people's way and they're over that now and they're basically going to make the moves they want to make the only guy that they're going to jump for is canelo if canelo says hey jump golovkin will say okay how high he'll do whatever canelo he wants the third canelo fight that's it other than him it's going to be golovkin's way or no way so i'm again i'm not defending that I'm just saying that's the point in his career where he's at. As far as would he beat Andre, would he beat Charlo? It depends on what how much he has left, dude. It, honestly, it just depends. It's it's hard to say because he hasn't fought. Andre, Andre just has no chin. The Charlo fight's interesting, but Andre has no chin. It wouldn't be very competitive, in my opinion. But uh, you know, you never know, man. And the thing about the third Canelo fight is. Dude, people are like Triple G's age showing up. Dude, he has a nutritionist. His body looks better than it ever did. And I know, like, time is undefeated. Triple G doesn't have that Roy Jones Jr. style, that, that super athletic. He just has a really good jab. He he boxes. He has a really good ring IQ. He's more like a Bernard Hopkins than he is a Roy Jones Jr. Like, he uses his mind and doesn't worry about his athleticism so much. And, man, I mean, he should have been 2-0 and against Canelo. But the thing about Canelo is, I don't see how he can like legitimately beat Canelo because he'll win and then he'll get robbed. I mean, that's happened twice already. I noticed what he tried to do in the second fight was he tried to box against Canelo, maybe switch it up against the judges and they both landed like the same amount of power punches and then Triple G outlanded him you know, miles by miles in the, uh, the jab department, but you know, he was robbed twice, so it's unfair. Like, maybe without Oscar, Triple G can legit get a decision. Uh, he could knock Canelo out, maybe, because uh, Canelo was hurt by round uh, round 10 of the second fight, and Triple G's, you know, brilliant puncher. Dude, dude, I'm telling you, like, if he if he wins, if Triple G would win a trilogy with Canelo, I would cry. Here's the joy, dude. I would be so fucking happy. I would cry. I'd be like, he finally got the lead win. <laughs> the no, thing is, though, for real. Like, happy stories like that, bro, rarely happen in boxing. If I had to predict what's going to happen for Golovkin, and it's it's hard to predict, but 
I, I don't think he's going to fight till the Murata fight, bro. Uh, he'll fight Murata. I think he'll win, but that fight's going to be harder than you think for him, Jack. And it's going to be a lot closer and more competitive than you think. And perhaps a third fight with Canelo happens next year, but probably not. And at some point, um, I don't know, man. Golovkin, after the Murata fight, he could maybe fight Andrade. He could maybe fight Mungia. I think Mungia is a, a more marketable fight than than Andrade. But it's going to be a couple more, and then he's going to retire, dude. And he's not going to get that big signature win. But he got signature paper. He, he got paid well. So it's hard for me to feel bad for Golovkin because he got paid. Yeah, yeah. Just a uh, just one more thing I want to comment on because like I was like you cut the calls short. I was just I was just kind of joking there. Right, I got but, you. Uh, One more thing I wanted to say because yeah, uh, dude, Mangia. I'm sorry, but Mangia is not that good. Like Mangia should have lost to Hogan, and if Triple G fights Mangia even at this age, he would beat him pretty clearly. I mean, do you remember what uh, what's his name? Uh, Turiano Johnson was doing for the, like, the first six rounds. Yeah. He was destroying, he was like round one, he was destroying Mungia. And Verzmeta was landing, uh, he couldn't, uh, Mungia, by the way, he doesn't have power at 160. Has he even dropped anyone, like a clean shot besides a TKO? He does not have any power at 160. So he can't hurt Triple G. And if you can't hurt Triple G, then if you can't like keep him off, it'll look like the Willie Monroe Jr. fight. I mean, he's a physically strong kid, but Mungia just is not that good, in my opinion. Like, he hasn't developed his man strength yet, and he's like, what, like 25? Like, that's a bad fight, and I don't think Oscar would want that fight, because I think he knows that Mungia would get hurt pretty badly, because Mungia thinks he can just roll with all the shots. Have you noticed that? Mungia thinks he can just roll with every right hand there is, and like, take it partially. He can't do that shit against a guy like Golovkin. Well, I'll just say this much, and then I got to let you go for another call. But if it really depends to me on how Golovkin looks with Murata, if he blows Murata out in two or three rounds, I agree with you. I don't think Oscar is going to be quick to make that fight. But if it goes to distance, if it's a, a grueling kind of fight and it looks a little bit like Golovkin's fight with Derevyanchenko, which I think is possible, I really do, especially in Tokyo, then I think you're going to see guys like Oscar jump because he's going to be like, all right, the time is right. Let's get Golovkin now. And a fight between Triple G and Mungia in Los Angeles, dude, that's a big fight in L.A. That's a big crowd. Yeah. You know what I mean? Well, it's good to talk to you, man. I'll let you get to the other calls and uh, shit, man. Yeah, take it easy. All right, brother. Have a good one. You too. All right, we have a call from Anonymous. Let's see. Anonymous mysterious caller on the line all right uh anonymous you're on the show what's up bro can you hear me yes i can hey man how's it going i'm actually calling from the uk big fan of your uh, show i just saw your live go off and i thought you know what man f i'm just gonna jump on and call for the first time cool first time caller all right thanks for calling in man um the last caller made some good points about the last bit and I would love to see him fight Andre. Um, it's about the position that Andre's in because Charlo doesn't want to unify. Golovkin doesn't want to unify. Andre is mandatory, doesn't want to like him. But even, um, oh, uh, what's his name? 
Billy Joe Saunders, that fight fell through a few times. So I think Andre is trying to get the big fight, but he's kind of struggling in it. So I'm not sure where he can go. Yeah, I, I know that Andre, his promoter, Eddie Hearn, made um, a substantial offer to Jamal Charlo's people, and they turned it down. Golovkin's not interested in fighting Andre anytime soon. Uh, Andre tried to call out Canelo, and Canelo basically laughed at him. He actually said, get the fuck out of the air. You're a horrible fighter. Get the fuck out of here. <laughs> I'm, I'm doing a Golovkin oh. accent to do Canelo. But, uh, you know, no one wants to fight this guy. Um, it, it, it's, you know... But it's it's a situation that fighters in the past have faced, and I, I'll use Golovkin as an example. This is something I've talked about a lot. 2012, 2013, 2014, up through like 2015, Golovkin was fighting three, sometimes four times a year against B and C level guys at times, but he was fighting for short money. At that time, he was barely making enough money to cover costs. And the networks loved him because he get in there, put on a great knockout. The fights came cheap. They did a good rating because he was exciting. If I'm Andre, that's that's what I'd be doing right now. I'd be fighting lesser tier guys three, four times a year and creating demand. He's not doing that. And until he can create some sort of demand for guys like Charlo, Golovkin, whoever, to get in the ring with him, He's not going to get the big fights. Also, um, Michael, um, you know the Morata fight. I actually kind of agree with you. I don't think that's going to be as easy as what people think. But this guy's an Olympic gold medalist, and I don't want to say anything controversial, but he in Japan he seems very, very different. If you look at the two Rob Brandt fights, so not what he's doing in Japan, but you know what I'm talking about. Like he looks very, very different. A lot more explosive, aggressive, more violent. Uh, the Morata fight, he's an Olympic gold medalist as well. I think the Morata fight is actually going to be a lot tougher for the last than what people think. Um, uh, yeah, and also, uh, yeah, no, the Canelo plant undisputed fight. Canelo plant, what do I think about that? Um, well, I talked about that at the, the top of the show. I, I think it's great that we're getting a complete unification, but I just don't think it's a very competitive fight. I think Canelo is just levels above Caleb Plant. Plant has had a kind of easy road. He hasn't fought anybody that's going to prepare him for what he's going to face against Canelo. Uh, and that's a problem that we see more and more and more in boxing. These guys don't want to fight each other. They don't want to prove themselves. So when they finally get the big fight, I guess, we, you know, I, I let's go back to Andre. Let's go back to Charlo. They're kind of hoping to get what Caleb Plant's about to get. That big payday, the big, big fight. Plant just kind of waited around and got lucky. He was the last guy with the last belt, and so he has that leverage because Canelo wants that belt, and now he's going to get overpaid. But I think he's going to get decisively beat, brother. I really do. Would you put Canelo as the pound-for-pound king if he uh, consolidates all the belts? I already have Canelo number one. I think that – and I don't think he's going to hold that position for long because I think there's some people nipping at his heels, right, Um, who are going to face better opposition – but right now, if you just look at over the last few years, Canelo has been the most active of the top champions. And he, you have to rate him number one pound for pound right now. He'll solidify that position when he beats Plant. If he goes on to fight a guy like Better Bev or somebody like that, then he solidifies that position even more. But somebody like Inouye, maybe Taylor, maybe Tiafima Lopez, somebody like that I do think will overtake him in the next couple of years, next year or so. 
Also, um, thoughts of uh, Joshua Usyk uh, finally final. Would you say that's a better fight than Wilder well, three? I think it is. Yeah, I, I think it is, and I've talked about this. I think the winner of that fight. Maybe they're not the heavyweight champion because right now, Ring Magazine, we recognize Tyson Fury as the heavyweight champion. But the winner, September 25th, would be, in my opinion, the best heavyweight in the world on that night because Fury and Wilder haven't fought in a year and a half. And Wilder's coming off of destructive, devastating knockout loss. And Fury's coming off of COVID. If you take the reports at their word, you know, and because of his body style and everything, I I think COVID's going to really affect him. So, yeah, I think that's a fantastic yeah. fight. I favor Anthony Joshua because size matters, but that's an important fight. Dude, you're talking about one guy has three of the four heavyweight belts. The other guy had all the belts at cruiserweight, arguably the best cruiserweight resume ever, and these guys are going to fight. And that's a lot of hardware between the two of them. Olympic gold medalist as well, isn't it? That's, yeah, great point, too. Yeah, both of them, Olympic gold medalists. So when you think about all the credentials these two men bring into the ring, that's a that's an important fight. Okay, thanks for letting me on uh, your show. My first time, so I was a little bit nervous. That's why I'm stuttering a little. Oh, no <laughs> worries. What's your uh, name, brother? We didn't get your name. And Jimmy. Jimmy. Okay, well, call back, Jimmy. Thanks. Have a good show. Uh, I'll be listening on. All right, man. Have a good one. Okay, uh, we've got Super Chat from Feeling Dangerous 113. He says, that, well, first of all, thank you for the Super Chat once again. He says, what about Triple G versus Janabek? Passing the torch to his countrymen would be kind of awesome. Maybe that fight happens. You know what I'm saying? It, it's too premature. Not that I'm a guy who wants to marinate a bunch of fights, but that, that fight's a little premature. But uh, Janabek is someone who's calling everybody out. Now, I'd love to see where Janabek is rated. Let's, you know what? While we're talking here, I'm going to pull up the WBO rate. Which which one does Andre have? Is he WBO? I can't even remember with all these damn sanctioning groups, guys. But I'm going to pull this up because I want to see where he's rated right now. Um, and one of you guys on the chat could probably tell me sooner than me looking this up, but. I'm going to pull it up real quick. Middleweight. Okay, so yeah, Demetrius Andrade has the WBO championship at middleweight. Jaime Munguia is his mandatory. Now, if Munguia, Munguia is number one, if he forces that fight, number one, I like an Andrade-Munguia fight. I think that's a fun fight. I think both guys would be facing the best opponent of their careers. For Andrade, at least his best opponent at middleweight. And then at number two, Janabek Anam Kanuli. Uh, that's a great fight. Or Zanabek, sorry, sorry. Zanabek. I think that's a great freaking fight, man. Um, if that could happen. So um, that'd be fun too. Uh, Torrin Fox says Janabek is the future of the middleweight division. A lot of people feel that way. He's calling out a lot of people right now. He's willing to fight anybody. I think it would be interesting to see where he ends up. He needs to get into a mandatory position, whether it's Andre or somebody. Boxing and Bulldog says, Breadman Edwards is saying Plant is a better challenge to Canelo than Billy Joe Saunders. Maybe, maybe, but it's barely, dude. We're talking just barely. I think that Plant probably does bring more athleticism. I think he's definitely more athletic than Saunders. 
I think he's going to be a little grittier, a little tougher. I, I think that Plant is tougher than Saunders, and it's going to bring a little more grittiness to it. And um, so he's going to pose more of a challenge than Callum Smith did and Billy Joe Saunders did. I believe that. I truly, truly do. However, I still think he's going to get his ass beat. I still think Canelo is going to win that fight big. Joe on the chat says, Mike, what is your over-under for Canelo versus Plant pay-per-view buys? That is, that's a good question, man. Um, I mean, look, pre-COVID, pre-COVID, the rematch between Fury and Wilder, that was the most promoted fight I have seen since Mayweather Pacquiao. The, the PBC and Top Rank did an outstanding job promoting that fight. And just an outstanding job. But it didn't break a million pay-per-view buys. Two heavyweights, right? One of them American. Um, this was, you know, for the uh, the lineal championship, right? Because it was number one versus number two at the time. And it was a rematch. I mean, there was all this bad blood. Huge promotion. Didn't even break a million pay-per-view buys. Is Canelo versus Plant a bigger fight now? than the rematch between Fury and Wilder was last February? I don't think so. I, saw, I, I can't say it breaks a million buys, man. I don't think it does anywhere near that. Does it break half a million pay-per-view buys? I do think so. And I think that's all Canelo, obviously. He's the A side, and Plant is like the B minus, right? This isn't even A and B. It's A plus and B minus. Uh, that's the way I see it. I do think it could break half a million. But a big part of that is it's around Mexican Independence Day, Mexican fighter, Las Vegas. They really need to get a strong co-feature on this thing, though, man. Get a co-feature on there that is a 50-50 matchup that can bring in um, more fans, you know, uh, especially more. You're, you're going to get Canelo's casuals, but I'm not sure this matchup is going to get a bunch of the casual sports fans interested, right? You got to get another matchup on there that's going to at least demographically get more people interested in the fight. So that's the way I see it. Look, we still have a bunch of calls on hold, guys. I'm sorry I can't get to it. We're going on almost two hours tonight. We're going to wrap the show up here. But um, let's uh, – well, remember, we got the Friday show. So anything that we're not wrapping up here, guys, we will wrap up Friday. All right? But for now, we're going to bounce out. Great show. Great freaking calls. I'm sorry for those of you on hold. I couldn't get to you. We just, uh, we're getting so many calls on the show now, which is awesome, but I can't always get to all you guys. So uh, have a good week. I'll see you guys Friday and next Monday. We'll be right back here on the Rink Digital YouTube channel for TNC 276. You guys take care of yourselves. Take care of each other. I'll see you at the fights.